All right, well, here's where we have been in this series. The struggle is real. Life has a lot of struggles. Like, you know that, I know that every single one of us, we have struggles and the struggles are real. And whatever your struggle, it is real to you. And what we have said from the very beginning in this series is this, that you won't be defined by the fact that you struggle. You will be defined by how you respond to your struggles. So what do you do about your struggles? How do you fight back? And whether or not you work to overcome your struggles, that's what will ultimately define you. So we've been learning to fight back and stand in the struggle and overcome any obstacles as big as the largest giant or as, this, as small as our own selves. Last week, we came back with this interesting idea that sometimes we struggle with success, that we struggle because when God brings us to a place of victory, we don't know how to live in it. When God brings us to a place of peace, we don't know how to live in it. When God brings us to a place of joy, we don't know how to live with it. We're not familiar with it. We're not comfortable with it. And if we don't know how to live in it, we certainly won't be able to act correctly to sustain it. So last week, I looked at the example of David to cut off the head to make sure it's dead, to make sure the past is dead in the past so it doesn't continue into your future, to build a community of victory because people dedicated to victory won't let you lose, and to continue to bring your humble and your hustle to remember where you came from and that you didn't get victory on your own or, or by your own strength, and to remember to keep bringing your best, to not become content too easily and too quickly. And if we'll do that, we can actually sustain the success and the victory that God brings us because how you, how, how you handle your victory will determine how long you get to live in it. And so this has been a big series so far. And today we close it out with a question that's just as big of a deal. What do you do when it all falls apart? What do you do when it all falls apart? apart. Because yes, the struggle is real. And yes, there's the diagnosis. And yes, there's this thing in my career happening. Yes, there's this. And, 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 and that's all something and it's all, all very real. But at the end of the day, I know God can get me through that. But what do you do when it all falls apart? Because sometimes our struggles are the difficult moments of life and the things within our control to overcome them. Sometimes it's just a rough stretch of parenting or job loss or health difficulties. And it's, it's, it's time to dig in your heels and dig your way out where, where you know, yeah, this is tough, but we'll find a way. And with God's help, we'll pull through and maybe we'll even be stronger on the other side. And then you know there are other times where you've done everything that you know to do and everything you can do. And the thing has fallen apart anyway, and it seems like there's nothing left but to lose hope and move forward broken. Sometimes the giant is just plain too big to face. Sometimes all the obstacles pile up all at once, and it's no longer an obstacle. Now it's a mountain. What do you do when it all falls apart? Has anyone ever been through anything like that? Matter of fact, if you've been through something like that, would you like this video right now? Like just to, to say, yeah, I'm, like, I, that, that, that's me. I mean, maybe it's for you is that your child has become a teenager and has developed some ideas and thoughts of their own and you love that, except that what their thoughts and ideas are, they have come to home telling you that they no longer believe anything that you believe as a family and they no longer want anything to do with God, church, the Bible, prayer. To them, it is all a waste of time. And in that moment, it feels like all of life has come crashing down. Maybe it's that, that one fight in your marriage, it turned into a constant marriage fight and you've been fighting for eight years and it never really stops. And it feels so big. You're like, this is just a mountain. This is not a giant. This is not an obstacle. This is a mountain. This is a mountain range. This is the Rockies. We can't get past this. Maybe it's that, um, maybe it's that you got a diagnosis and you also got told, well, we really don't have a way to treat this. 
Like it's one thing when you get a diagnosis and you get some medicine. It's a whole different thing when you get a diagnosis and there's no treatment. You get told about a loved one, about all we can do at this point is to try to make them comfortable and try our best to make sure they don't suffer as they pass. I mean, I'm just telling you, you know that there are moments in your life where it all falls apart, where you have built a career and you have given your life to a company and one day because the economy turns, you're out on the street and you don't know how things are, how, like, how are going to work out. You don't know where the money's going to come from. You don't know how, where your next paycheck, like, you don't know any of that. And it feels like everything fell apart. And what do you do in those moments? What do you do when it all falls apart? Today, one last time, we're going to look to the example of David. David faced a few of these moments and a few of these instances in life where it's just too big. Today, I want to look at, a, at, at David in a moment very shortly before he would become king. Before he became king, things got very, very, very dark for David. I, you know, last week we talked about this season and stretch of life where David experienced a great deal of success and a great deal of victory and a great deal of peace. But the undercurrent of all of that was as he experienced success, as he experienced victory, as he lived in more and more peace, Saul the current king became more intimidated and more jealous and more insecure about his own reign. And because of that, he, he actually went after David and he became a severe threat to David's very existence. Part, part of the story in fact, that we read last week but didn't really address in huge ways that as, as Saul you know, proposed a marriage pact with, you know, between David and, and, and Saul's wife, part of the thinking was, as he has to go to battle to win this bride price, he's gonna get he's gonna get killed off by the Philistines. David, you're like, oh yeah, come into my family, but also I'm secretly hoping that you will die. Saul sent David on military missions where it was believed that it was an impossible mission, and he was sent and said, Go, you go at the head of this thing, where it was known. This is an impossible situation. David's not going to come back from this. But David kept coming back from this. Everything he was sent to do by Saul, he experienced victory and he experienced success. Uh, and the more David succeeded in the face of Saul's traps, the more unhinged Saul became. Now, at two different points of life, Saul threw spears at David. Like, like threw spears so hard that they missed David by an inch because Saul, because David was not like Goliath. He's not going to stand still while people are throwing things at him. He dodged out of the way. So the spear was thrown in such, in so, in such intense force that it stuck into the wall exactly where David had been. Now, I, 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 in, in the, like, I, I just want to let you know, if anyone ever threw a spear at me once, you know, I'm probably not going to go back around that person for a while. In the famous words of, fa of former President George W. Bush, fool me once, shame on, shame on you. Fool me, you can't get fooled again. You know, like, like it, at least, like, it, it threw, this happened twice. And the second time it happened, David was like, whoa, I think I'm in trouble. The first time they said, oh, Saul was having a really bad moment, a really bad migraine. You've got to forgive me. He's like, oh, okay, I guess that's that, that, what you can say. He comes back, happens again. At least two other times while in Saul's service, David discovers there are plots against his life and escapes both times. And unfortunately, Saul's own children suffer Saul's wrath over these failed attempts because they are helping David, after the second attempt on his life, David removes himself completely from the situation and runs for his wife, 
Saul takes David's wife, Michelle, and marries her to another man. There's no divorce pronounced. He just, I hate David so much. I'm going to give my, my, my daughter in marriage to someone else while she's still married to him. And you got to deal with it, honey, because that's how things are going to be from now on. Like, this is absolute insanity. David removes himself from the situation with Saul and Saul's armies in hot pursuit. This is civil war. This is, this is civil war where, where there's really only one side. David is not trying to steal or capture a kingdom. David is trying to live and serve Saul. And Saul, because of his insecurity and his jealousy and his pride and being intimidated by David's success, is just out to get David. And he hunts down David. It gets so bad for David that David flees Israel altogether and goes to find safety and peace, ironically, in the service of the Philistine king, someone who David fought intense battles against for years. David serves him for a while and has, has a little bit of success, but then the other Philistine military officers, as they're preparing for battle against Israel, they become worried that David is ultimately a liability and that eventually David will, will turn on them as, an, as a way to get back into the good graces of King Saul as if that was possible. And because of their, their being convinced that there was a way back for, save, for David to go to Israel, they eventually get David kicked out of the Philistine military and out of Philistine territories altogether. David has no home in Israel David has no home in, Phil, in the Philistine lands. David has no home. Now, we've all had some bad days. I've had some bad days. I've had some days where I questioned whether or not God was really up to anything in my life. I've had some days where things were going so badly that I questioned whether or not I was on the right path in God's life, whether or not that God had you know, kind of removed his hand because there was somewhere else I was supposed to. I've had those days. We've all had some bad days, and I think David would take that, that moment of his life and put it up against our bad days and say, mine wins. And I think he's right. Like, I have never been hunted by a king, a president. Like, I have never been hunted by a military. I've never had people chasing me for my life. I've never had any of that. I have never been without a home. I've never been married to someone and then have their parents come and take her away. And, you know, thank God that, you know, Jalen's parents have never taken her away and given her in marriage to another person. Like, this is, I've never had, a, I've never had my father-in-law throw, now he may have wanted to. I've never had a moment where anyone threw a spear at me. Like, this hasn't happened. David's bad day wins against all mindset together. And then in the middle of that, we get this story of what happens as he's in this, I have no home, I have no security, I have no safety. Every bit of peace has escaped from me, it's been taken away, it's been stripped away from me. In the middle of that story, as, as, as that's unfolding, here's what we're told at the end of the book of 1 Samuel, in 1 Samuel chapter 30, it says three days later, when David and his few men arrived home at their, at their town of Ziklag, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and Ziklag. They had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. They had carried off the women and children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. So we have no home. We have no safety. We have nothing. There is this one little town that no one seemed to know about. 
And David had made that his home and his men's home. And people had gathered around him as this little fighting force that's like, you know what? We protect David. We're out for David's interest because we know that God has anointed and chosen David to be the next king. And we're not going to go to war against King Saul to make it happen. But we're going to be ready that whenever that, whenever Saul passes away, whenever God removes Saul from the throne, we have David protected and ready to go. And they go to this little town called Ziklag. And they're there. And it's like, okay, in the middle of the chaos, they have found one slice of peace. And we're told that not the Israelites and not Saul and not the Philistines, but the Amalekites had come and they had made a raid and they had burned the city to the ground and they had carried off all the women and children, all the wives, all the moms, all the children. Everyone following David is like, are you serious? We, we've lost everything, and now we've literally lost everything. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. Have you ever cried until you could cry no more? David's two wives, Ahinoam from Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel, were among those captured. David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters. And they began to talk of stoning him. Yikes. Even the people closest to David are considering turning their backs on David because following David has gone incredibly bad for them. That's what David is facing right now. And then there's this tiny little sentence that it's tiny and short in length and it's short in words but it is full of wisdom for us when it all falls apart as it had for David and as it sometimes does for us in life. And for the moments that life falls apart and it all falls apart and it is too big for us to handle and it is too, and the struggles have all piled up and there is no answer and there is no answers and there is no solution that comes to mind. What David did next helps us understand what we're supposed to do next. So 1 Samuel 30 verse 6. But David found strength in the Lord, his God. David found strength in the Lord, his God. You know what you do when it all falls apart? You find strength in the Lord, your God. You know what you do when everything going on in your family is overwhelming? You find strength in the Lord, your God. You know what you do when that temptation that you thought you had beaten and was dead in the past rears its head again? You find strength in the Lord your God. You know what you do when the enemy, when, when the economy takes a downturn and the diagnosis and the prognosis is worse than expected and your adult ADHD is out of control and the voices in your head won't quit and life is more expensive than it's ever been and there are things affecting your kids that are beyond your control and all of that happens in the same time and it just feels like, like way too much. You find strength in the Lord, your God. That's what you do when it all falls apart. That's when, what you do when the struggles pile up too high and you can't begin to see a way forward. You find strength in the Lord, your God. And, if you're ever, and before we go on, today... For some of you, you may be going like, that's a wonderful idea. How do you find strength in the Lord your God? How, how do you allow God to strengthen you 
in the face of that? How do you allow God to build up your spiritual muscle in the face of that? Like when it's all falling apart, how do you let God build up your spiritual muscle? And I would say this, there's four things we're going to talk about. Sometimes the fact that the things are piling up will build your spiritual muscle. And you will find that there is strength that you did not know you had. But in the face of when it all is falling apart, there are four things I think we have to do to make sure that we find the strength that God has for us and the strength that only God has for us in the face of our struggles. Number one is we find strength in God through his word. We find strength in God through his word. Psalm chapter 119 is, is David writing about what he has found to be true about the word of God. Now, again, what David knew of the word of God was Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, maybe the book of Joshua. Like that's what, and maybe, maybe some of the book of Judges, that's what David knew of the word of God. As, as, as we see Psalm 119, it is written to his, many people believe, to his sons to help them understand what he has found to be true about scripture. In Psalm 119, 71, and then a few other verses, we're told this, my suffering was good for me, for it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. God, my suffering was good for me, for it taught me to pay attention to your decrees, to find strength in your word, to find strength in your decrees, to find strength in your instructions, to find strength in your wisdom. I, my suffering was good for me. It all falling apart, or some of it falling apart. It was good for me because it reminded me that I find strength in your word. Psalm 119, 81 and 82 and 86 to 88. I am worn out waiting for your rescue, but I have put my hope in your Word. My eyes are straining to see your promises come true. All your commands are trustworthy. Protect me from those who hunt me down without cause. They almost finished me off, but I refuse to obey, abandon your commandments. In your unfailing love, spare my life so I can continue to obey your laws. And I love what David, David Polison observed this and wrote this about Psalm 119. He said, Psalm 119 is actually not about the topic of getting scripture into your life. Instead, it is the honest words that erupt when God, when what God says gets into you. It's not an exhortation to Bible study. It's an outcry of faith. Psalm 119 is the thoughtful outcry that rises when real life meets real God. And I'm just telling you, for some of you, when you face those moments when all of life has fallen apart, you need to run to God's word. Now, I hope you have a daily habit of spending time reading the word of God and making sure that God's word gets into you. But there is something about those moments of struggle where the word of God comes alive and it becomes a source of life and it becomes a source of hope and it becomes a source of joy in the middle of sorrow and it becomes a source of hope when in the middle of despair where, where God has exactly what you need. He has the wisdom that you need. He has the peace that you need. He has the encouragement that you need. He has the rebuke that you need. He has the correction that you need. He has the words of life. And when you go to him, when it all falls apart, when you go to his word, you find strength in his word. The strength that puts you through to tomorrow and to the next day and the next day. And you're going, I don't know how I'm going to make it tomorrow, but God's word gets you to tomorrow. You find strength in his word. Number two is you find strength in God through time and prayer. 
You find strength in God through time and prayer. Prayer should not be our last resort, but our first priority. I, I, I believe that. that. That's why, again, we, have a, we want to have a daily priority of prayer, a daily time of prayer where we're spending time with God, talking to God, communicating with God, learning to hear and recognize the voice of God. But when prayer is your last resort, you will find that time spent talking with God is an incredible fortress of strength. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, Paul wrote this, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. And Paul knew there was stuff to worry about. Paul was sitting in a Roman prison. Paul had been shipwrecked. Paul had been bitten by snakes. Paul had had you know, attacks on his life and conspiracies against his life. Paul knew there was plenty to be worried about. And Paul said, don't worry about anything. It's all falling apart. I understand that. But don't worry about that. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. You spend time with God in prayer. When everything is falling apart, you talk to your heavenly father. You get wisdom and encouragement from his word. You also get wisdom and encouragement in life through time spent in communicating with him. James 5, 13 through 13 and 16 says, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Wow. Are any of you suffering hardships? Are any of you struggling? Are, for any of you, is it all falling apart? You should pray. And he goes, are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. It says the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. That when, the last, when prayer is our last resort, when it's all falling apart, there are times where prayer, it may not be our first priority. It is our last resort. And when prayer is your last resort, you will find strength and healing and forgiveness and everything that you need that flows from your heavenly Father. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. And when you do, Paul says, and James says, there is peace and healing, and wellness, and forgiveness, and strength that comes through prayer to your heavenly Father. We find strength in God through time and prayer. We find strength in God through rest. Isaiah chapter 30, um, Isaiah the prophet wrote this in the middle of facing exile, in the middle of everything in a nation falling apart. Isaiah chapter 30, this is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. We find strength through quietness and trust, through rest and through repentance. That's where we find in God's rest, not our rest, not our, I'm going to sit by and like, you know, just kind of like, but in quietness and trust, meaning I don't have to freak out. I don't have to scramble. Now, if God tells me to freak out and God tells me to scramble, I do that. But if God says you rest, you stay still, you be quiet, 
then in that quietness, that's God's quietness. In that rest, it's God's rest. In that stillness, it is God's stillness. And in that stillness and in that quietness and in that rest, God promised that this will be our strength. In Psalm 131, David wrote, My Lord, my heart is not proud, my eyes are not haughty. I don't concern myself with matters too great or too awesome for me to grasp. Instead, I have calmed and quieted myself. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord now and always. He says, I, I, I'm trying not to, like these things are too big to understand. I'm trying not to concern myself with all that. I got, I'm, I'm the king. I've got way too much going on. Instead, I have calmed and quieted myself. Lord. I'm, find, I'm finding strength in calmness and in quietness and in stillness. God, in your rest. So I put my hope in you for what I can't do. What I, with all my restlessness, with all my activity, with all my effort, I can't do that. But God, I know you can do more with my rest than I can with my activity. So I hope in you. And in Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. Again, this is written by David. So we will not fear when the earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. Let all of this craziness happen. And in the middle of that, he says, so while all that is going on, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I'll be honored through the world. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Be still and know. He says, there are some things that you can't really know until you be still. There are things about God, about who he is, about his strength at work in your life, about what his peace really is that you can't know until you make the decision and wrap your, minds around, your mind and your life around it to be still. And then the final thing is that we find strength through God's guidance. We, take, we find strength through God's guidance. Now, this is where the story picks back up. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought, brought it. Now the ephod was the way that they would, cons the, the, thing, the apparatus or the thing that they would use in their time and their limited understanding to speak to God and to get guidance from God, to get direction from God. Then David asked the Lord, should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? In other words, God, before I take a single step, I need to know where you're leading. He's getting guidance from God. So if you say go and you'll win, I'll go. If you, stay, if you say stay and cut your losses, I'll stay. If you say go, but we're not going to win, I'll still go because you said go. If you say stay and we're going to get everything back, I'm staying because that's what you say to do. But I need your direction. I don't want to walk out of this place stronger because I found strength in your word, stronger because I spent time in prayer, stronger because I spent time resting and allowing you to work while I, well, while I was still and while I was quiet and while I was rest. Like, I, I, but I don't want to walk out of here stronger, but not in alignment with your will. And at the end of verse 8, it says this, And the Lord told him, Yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. And the book of 1 Samuel, in the chapter of 1 Samuel 30, 
ends with, that, with David saying, God said go, and we'll recover, and we're going to go, and we're going to recover. So yes, we're tired, and yes, we're frustrated, and yes, we're angry, and yes, we're upset, and yes, we're bitter, and yes, it all fell apart. But God has strengthened us. He has strengthened us through his word. He strengthened us as we sought him in prayer. He has strengthened us as we sat quiet and rested and remained still. And now he has strengthened us with his direction. So now we go where he leads. And as they leave this place, they immediately come and they catch up to these, to these people who have stolen everything from them. And they capture everything and they, cap, and they capture all the people and they, re, re, and they receive and they recapture everything that was taken from them. They recapture all of their family that was taken from them. Everything that was taken from them was returned just as God had said. He said, you will recover everything that was taken from you. And that's exactly what happen because no word from God will ever fail. When everything falls apart, when it all falls apart, when the diagnosis is too big and there's no prognosis and there's no treatment and things are at the darkest they've ever been in your marriage and when things are, dark, are the darkest they've ever been in, in your financial situation, there's credit card debt that you have kept from your spouse and it has piled up and piled up and piled up and piled up and you know you need to come clean. When your kids are facing difficulties at school that you don't know how to deal with and you want to pull them, and put them, pull them out and put them in private school or put them in homeschool, but you can't do that because of your financial situation or because of your career situation, when all of that happening and it's all falling apart, you find strength in the Lord your God. And you find strength in the Lord your God through his word and through time spent in prayer talking to him. And you find strength in the Lord as you allow God to restore you as he, as he brings you to a place of rest and stillness and your mind to a place of stillness and rest. And you allow God to bring strength to your life as you bring yourself into alignment with God's direction, that where he says you go, that you don't want to walk out stronger, but not in alignment with God, because alignment with God is what makes you the strongest that you can possibly be. The struggle is real. It's real. And it's not going anywhere. Life, life is going to be big and life is going to be full of struggles. And, that, and, and that's the reality of life. And sometimes those struggles are not just struggles. They are mountains of struggle. But when it all falls apart and when the mountain's too big and the obstacles are not just a giant, it is the biggest thing that you've ever seen and you don't know how you could possibly overcome it. You find strength in the Lord your God. That is where hope comes from. That is where the struggle that is very real meets a very real God and you find hope and peace and freedom and victory over the struggle, over the obstacle, over the enemy, over everything. Because yes, the struggle is real, but so is our God. And yes, the struggle is big, but our God, who is our strength, is bigger than anything we would ever face. So let's lean into our God. Let's find strength in him through his word, through time and prayer, through rest, and through, his seeking, through seeking his guidance and his direction. Let's allow him to strengthen us for whatever struggle we may face. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your love, your mercy, your grace. Thank you for everything that you are. And God, thank you that in the moments of our life where the struggle is too big and when it, all of life seems like it has fallen apart, thank you that we can find strength in the Lord, our God, that we can find strength in you. Thank you for your word. God, that as David said, 
My struggle was good for me. My suffering was good for me for it reminded me of your promises, of your word, of your instruction, of your direction, of your your commands, of your decrees. Thank you that your word is alive and active today just as it was for David 3,000 years ago and that we can find strength in the Lord our God through through your word. Thank you that we can find strength in you as we come to you in prayer, that God, when prayer is our last resort, that you are an incredibly strong fortress in our time of need that you are the God that we can pray to about everything and know that you hear us and know that you're for us. God, thank you that, that you have rest and you have stillness for us where life is full of so much of the opposite. And God, thank you that we can know you and we can experience your guidance and seek you for your direction. God, that you don't just strengthen us so we can go back without direction, but you strengthen us so that we can walk out according to your will and your plan. So God, help us to do that. Help us to seek you for guidance and direction because we don't want to take a single step stronger but out of alignment with you. So help us to know today, God, as some of us may be facing those moments where all of life has fallen apart or everything we care about has fallen apart. I pray that we would find strength in the Lord our God, that we would look to you for strength. We would look to you for hope. We would look to you for joy. We would look to you for peace. We would look to you for victory. Where we have reached the end, where we've reached the limit of our our capacity and our ability, we would look to you and find the strength that we need and the hope that we need and the peace that we need and the life that we need that's only found in you anyway. So God, help us to look to you. Help us find strength in the Lord our God. We love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.